0: M S W Media. We'd like to thank our new sponsor, Microdose, for supporting the Daily Beans. Offer to learn more about microdosing THC. Go to microdose.com and use code DailyBeans to get free shipping and 30% off your first order.
1: News with
0: Welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, December 25th, 2023. Merry Christmas. It's a very special week. I am going to be doing a bunch of interviews this week, sort of a year in review. And I am very happy today to bring you an interview with Mr. Glenn Kirshner, former federal prosecutor. But first, we have an interview with my good friend, co-host of Clean Up on All 45, Pete Strzok. Hello, Pete.
2: Hey, Allison, Merry Christmas and Merry Christmas to everybody out there listening. Hope you're having a peaceful, joyful uh, celebration if you celebrate. And if not, hopefully uh, getting some rest before the new year.
0: Yes. And if you have as you're, you're at your wits end with some MAGA relatives, just say, hey, all I can tell you is that your vote is private. You don't have to tell anybody that you voted for Biden. Do it for me. Nobody will know. You can, you can keep your MAGA signs up. Uh, it'll be fine. That's like the last resort, I think, <laughs> for what happens, what happens in 2024.
2: Yeah, there's a recent poll. We're talking about all these Republican voters who have extreme concern about Trump and voting for Trump, but they're afraid to say it because of the backlash they may get from MAGA folks. And, you know, that's where we're at, right? You can't even get a uh, dissent within the Republican Party for fear of uh, retribution and not just like somebody saying mean things about you, but worse. And, yeah, it's getting worse.
0: Yeah, I I felt it a little bit, not nearly as much. But when I uh, abandoned the you know the the Bernie train uh, and and you know voted for Hillary, I just didn't tell them uh, most of them because it would have angered them very much that I didn't write Bernie Sanders in. So, but this is now we're talking. You know, Trump, MAGA, violent death threats, just absolute insanity. So I understand it's different, but, you know, remind them, hey, nobody will know. Nobody will know. Do it for me, Uncle Frank. (laughs) Vote for Biden. I won't tell. You don't even have to tell me. So today what I wanted to talk to you about has to do with elections because the DHS slash DOJ, FBI, and ODNI reports came out about midterm election foreign interference. I did a little thread about this on Twitter. I know you did as well. And let's talk about that, especially key finding number 3, which really stood out to me. Uh I'd like your I'd like your thoughts. Let's go over it.
2: Yeah, so every after every election there's an executive order which mandates that the Director of National Intelligence publish a report about foreign threats uh, to the election. So they have to do it. This one was done after the midterms. It came out just over a year ago like in uh, De- so whatever that was early December of twenty twenty two, and they just declassified it and released it. There's a huge chunk that are that's still redacted. But You know, they go through the, it's not just one country, it's sort of the global threat. And they start, they talk about first China, and then they talk about Iran, and then they finally in key threat three, get to Russia, which in my mind, it's a little bit BS, because if you read this report, and again, DNI is over the entire intelligence community, it notes that incorporates information from the CIA, from NSA, from uh, the FBI, from the Department of State, INR. So this is really a community assessment. And it is clear when you look at the scope of activities that the report describes in terms of the volume of activity, the resourcing of activity, the threat to the United States elections from the activity, by far and away, Russia is one. And it's not even close. I mean, China maybe is a far second. And it notes they did a couple of things like, oh, you know, some anti-PRC candidates. They tried to uh, put, you know, information against them on social media. But this is, make no mistake about it, it details a lot about what Russia was doing. And to the extent Iran, Cuba, China were doing things, it's, you know, they're they're also rants. And so there's a little bit of like, well, just put it up front, put that finding one. Don't be so, there's a little bit of political correctness here still like, oh, let's let's make sure we touch on everybody and let's not offend everybody's sensitivities. And if they see Russia off the bat, they're going to say, oh, Russia, Russia, Russia. It, it, it's still, it's the hangover of Trump, right? It's people afraid to say the preeminent threat to US elections from foreign malign actors Is Russia, period, full stop. And so say it. Don't bury it in number three. And, you know, if you don't need to believe me, go read it and go, you know, make up your own mind. But in any event, key judgment three is that the intelligence community assesses the Russian government as proxies sought to denigrate the Democratic Party before the midterm elections and undermine confidence in the election, most likely to undermine U.S. support for Ukraine. And then it continues elements of the Kremlin and its intelligence services conducted extensive research and analysis. Of U.S. audiences to inform their election-related efforts, including identifying target demographics and the narratives and platforms that they perceived would appeal to those audiences, reflecting Mm. some of the intelligence community's most explicit reporting to date on Russia's U.S.-focused influence operations.
0: Now, there's a a lot of redacted information in this report. Before we get into the unredacted stuff, I want to ask you about what types of things are usually redacted besides like the obvious kind of sources and methods type things?
2: Yeah, well, those are usually it, right? I mean, if it's something that would allow you to say that, oh, there were elements, you know, specifying particular either people or groups within Russia who were involved. I mean, it does note Prigozhin; he's dead now, obviously, It notes his statements about interfering, but if there's something in there that's saying somebody had a conversation or some office directed another office or one particular intelligence service conducted operations in one one area or targeted one platform, those are the types of things that if, you know, because the bad guys read these reports as well, and they are eager to try and find out. What information does the US intelligence community have, right? Do they have they recruited human sources in the SVR, the Russia's Foreign Intelligence Service, or GRU, Russia's Military Intelligence Service, or in the presidential administration of Putin? Have they broken in through cyber means and gotten access to Russian data? So any foreign and China does the same thing in Iran and Cuba, they all do the same thing. They're trying to read this to find out where their vulnerabilities are. So the US is going to redact out those things. That would make it much easier and put our sources american sources at risk i don't think you know they note that they don't like us social media isn't included unless it was uh, gathered pursuant to an authorized investigation so it's not like the dni is you know going through uh you know, facebook and twitter and telegram and and what's you know reading what's out there just for general uh you know awareness it's, it's but but again Looking in what they did, you know, Russia is both an extended discussion, and you're right. There's a lot that's redacted, but a great deal that's that's not. And the beauty is, I mean, I think Russia's learned that, you know, they don't have to create new narratives. There, there are plenty of narratives out there that they can just piggyback on and accelerate, as it were. I mean, they. The analogy I always use. They're not starting a fire, right? They're looking for where the fires are and showing up with gallons of gasoline and making the fires worse, and so that gives them deniability. It gives them a toehold in sort of a a, sort of a, a grassroots narrative that's already out there. But they're, you know, they talk about like blaming multiculturalism and leftist ideals for driving the United States into crisis and saying, "Hey, look, this is." This is listening a lot of responses from uh, US males more than 40 years old interested in right-wing conservatism and you know going after developing plans to encourage US divisions and erode US public support for aid to Ukraine by targeting white latino lower and middle class Americans supporters of so-called quote traditional family values unquote and citizens who purportedly felt disadvantaged by the administration's policies and restricted by social media censorship which again you know and and look at how Elon Musk and the Twitter files and Matt Taibbi and all those knuckleheads are already in that space. And so the question in my mind is, you know, what's the overlap? Who funds? Yeah, and
0: which came first? Yeah. Like who? Right. Yeah. Like is, is Jim Jordan having a Twitter files hearings because, you know, Russia has poured gasoline on that fire or did the Twitter files hearings beckon them in to pour gasoline on that fire? And, and honestly... I mean, I'm sure it's a little bit of both. Um, but because, and you know, the plausible deniability thing is what makes these arguments so hard. When you say, Hey, Russia's pushing this, people will say, Come on, Russia didn't invent Black Lives Matter. Russia didn't invent Bernie Sanders. And you're, No, of course not. But here they are. Where they see rifts in a in one of the parties, and they come to exploit it, that's uh, the gun g- gun arguments and I was big in twenty sixteen abortion before Roe was overturned was a big target uh, that's how they do it, like you said, they show up and just throw gasoline on a fire that already exists,
2: yeah, and what's really interesting is what you can see and there are things that are coming out i i, I if your listeners remember what what's the knucklehead with uh, the, the the ghost buses in Congress who was going on and on. Oh. Uh, Clay Higgins. So yes. Clay Higgins sits down with Laura Logan, the crazy, she used to be like former CBS reporter and she went insane, was palling around with uh, Mike Flynn. But anyway, Clay Higgins sits down with her and does this in-depth you know, where he talks real slow and deep like a Southern sheriff about to lock you up and beat you about the head. And by the way, also it should be noted, Clay Higgins, a dirty cop, go out and, you know, look the, you know, strong allegations from his former employment in uh, Louisiana law enforcement that he quit rather before he could be disciplined for police brutality and lying to investigators. That's a matter of record. But anyway, he's sitting down with her talking about you know, how the men in power at the FBI have been corrupted and their time is coming and the ghost buses and everything else. But guess what? If you go uh, last week now on December 18th, there's a TPM article by Josh Kavinsky and Kate Riga talking about a series of uh, media broadcasts put together by a guy named Ben Swan. And why is that important? uh, The article goes through and lays out how Ben Swan, in fact, is a registered agent of the government of Russia. He's gone to the fair unit of DOJ. He's registered as being a Russian agent, taking Russian money, and he is pumping out this information, including Laura Logan's interview of Clay Higgins. So, congratulations, MAGA Nation, Clay Higgins. You are now a tool broadcasting your nonsense on Russian propaganda, paid for by the government of Russia. And it's clear, it's right. Yeah,
0: and I I don't think they they care. I think now they're like, well, we might as well register with the DOJ. Nobody gives a crap about where the you know where this comes from, honestly.
2: Yeah, and and you know, Trump talk, every campaign speech now talking about the Marxists and the communists and this and that. Well, you know, guess what? Who who's out there providing propaganda to the Marxists and the communists? Clay Higgins mm-hmm. with uh, Laura Logan paid for.
0: Well, here's, here's a couple of other things that stood out to me in the report in the Russia section, because as you said, I went through and I was like, the scope is a million times bigger on Russia. I'm going to read the Russia stuff first. Russian actors targeted left-leaning audiences, left-leaning audiences by suggesting that U.S. support to Ukraine risked war with Russia. And boy, how many times I had discussions, I guess you could call them, on social media about people who said that if we support Ukraine, we support war, He's, there. we're, we're going to get into a nuclear World War III. So I think that that, that, that fire was uh, exploited uh, pretty, pretty clearly. Um, that was one of the, the big ones that I noticed. Also, um, Moscow continued to promote allegations that the president and his family were involved in corrupt activities connected to Ukraine. For example, in May 2022, Russians claimed that charitable foundations linked to the Clintons and Hunter Biden funded biological research laboratories in Ukraine. So congratulations. That's what you've opened your impeachment inquiry on is is Russian disinformation.
2: Yeah. And it all overlaps, right? I mean, who was the biggest before he got booted from Fox? Who was the one of the biggest proponents of Ukrainian biolabs and just asking questions whether she was a guest or a guest host for tucker carlson tulsi gabbard i mean there are these core group of people whose narrative so and you know and look at rudy giuliani running around ukraine chasing the exact same data that this report is saying that russian intelligence services were eagerly planting there is just such an extraordinarily strong overlap that to to call it anything other than you know at, at the in the best case, all these folks serving as useful idiots. In the worst case, uh, we need to have some ability. Let's look into like who funds Zone, the news organization. Who are who's paying for Matt Taibbi and all the Substack subscribers? When you look at all these sort of fringe, like on the, you can read this report and come up with any number of U.S. social media uh, influencers or outright quasi-news organizations who are saying the exact same messaging and who coincidentally happen to be hyper-opaque about their funding. Mm. And what there should be no surprise to anyone if you get a group who is parroting Russian disinformation who has unexplained sources of income and refuses to talk about their sources of income you ought to start scratching your head and saying who's who's behind this who's right. gener- who's funding this who is allowing this to continue to be broadcast does that mean everybody who thinks the vote was stolen is a russian puppet no absolutely not but there is too much going on and again the step back to the 35,000 foot level the 2024 presidential election The two people who have the most at stake in that election are one, Donald Trump, because he needs to stay out of jail. And the only way he does that is by getting elected. And two, Vladimir Putin, because if Biden is reelected, funding and support for Ukraine is going to continue. Russia and Russia's military is on the ropes. And the only way that he gets out of Ukraine and stays in power is to try and break up one, reduce or eliminate U.S. support to Ukraine, and two, undermine the, the the NATO alliance. And that means electing Donald Trump and not Joe Biden. So if you don't think that Vladimir Putin and Russia are going and are right now expending extraordinary amounts of money to undermine the 2024 election, more than they did in 2020, more than they did in 2016, you're foolish. It's going on right mm-hmm. now, and it's going to be, in my opinion, unlike anything we've seen before.
0: Yeah. I agree. And now with a very—
2: Sorry, this is not a happy—this is not a happy happy Christmas message. (laughs) Well, (laughs) and now (laughs) with a
0: very vulnerable Twitter, that that makes it um, even exceptionally more dangerous. Uh, I have to take a quick break, but I have three more parts of this report on Russia, in the Russia part, that I wanted to ask you about. But uh, we're going to take a quick break right now. So everybody stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages. Hey everybody, it's AG. Microdosing might be a new buzzword uh, that you've been hearing about. It's all about fine-tuning your well-being and productivity. Think about that perfect equilibrium uh, after a refreshing workout or a warm shower. That's the zone, they call it, where everything feels just right. And microdosing aims to bring you into that state of relaxed alertness and gentle energy, making it easy and simple to access and sustain the optimal feeling throughout your day. Microdose sent me gummies so I could learn more about getting into the zone. You can try it too. Go to Microdose.com and use code DAILYBEANS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. For me, Microdose gummies have been a revelation in relieving anxiety, easing muscle tension, and boosting overall mood. They allow me to fully relax and ensure I get a good night's sleep as well. After exercise, they help my body recover more quickly, and I've noticed a clear improvement in both my focus and creative output. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code DAILYBEANS to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com, code DAILYBEANS. microdose.com, code DAILYBEANS for 30% off. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm talking to uh, Pete Strzok about this uh, new report on foreign influence in the 2022 midterms. Three other things that stood out to me, and I'll just go through them here one at a time. The report says after the elections, Russian online influencers continued to amplify purported voting abnormalities and fraud, particularly in Arizona. And, you know, of course, that stood out to me because of Carrie Lake and Fincham and the other guy, like all of the super MAGA people who lost and continued to go to court and go to court and go to court, and half of her lawyers are sanctioned now, but um, that seemed, they, they saw that fire there and it kept pouring fuel on it. Also, Russian influencers highlighted a conspiracy theory claiming Ukraine had invested U.S. aid in the FTX cryptocurrency exchange to benefit Democratic campaigns. I remember seeing that all over the place. And then, uh, of course, Russian influence actors cast aspersions on the integrity of the midterm elections, including by claiming that voting software was vulnerable. Americans expected cheating to undermine the midterm elections, and Democrats were stealing the elections. So, of course, those messages were, were basically everywhere, especially on right-wing media.
2: Yeah. And look, this isn't hard to do, right? I mean, you and I can sit here, all, all your listeners can say, okay, if I had a few million dollars and I wanted to create mischief in the social media environment, how would I do it? It's not hard. I mean, and it's the, you, you look at what, I mean, that's what, you know, the Steve Bannon's of the world and Charlie Kirks and Jack Posobiec and all the, the rest of the crazy crew, they're doing it day in and day out. It's not a secret. What is a secret is, again, and look, the U.S. political process can be as dirty as it gets within legal bounds. It, it, there are dirty tricks, there's nastiness, but there's a difference between what a domestic actor does versus what foreign governments do. And they have no place in our election. And so to the people saying, well, you know, it's uh, it's out there anyway, that's true, but that's not the point. The point is that we have sovereign nations interfering in our domestic political process with a specific goal of trying to get a particular person elected. And I think, you know, it... it One thing I don't agree. The report goes to some length saying, "Hey, we didn't see any indication of actual, you know, cyber intrusions into voting infrastructure or voter databases." Oh,
0: the this is the uh, DHS, DOJ, FBI report, right? Was that was only a two pager?
2: Yeah, they both they both talk about it, and my worry is that yes, while it's true that they didn't see evidence of it in the midterm elections, to conclude that therefore. These, you know, that means that they're not interested or they find it too hard or they find a better way of uh, using their resources to mess with our elections. I think that's a bad conclusion. And I think, I mean, again, it's one thing to sit there and say the vote was stolen, it's corrupt. But if you're a Russian actor and you can hack into a voter database in a swing district in a swing state, if you can change voter registration information, in a swing district, in a swing state and publish that or give it to one of your useful idiots to publish at or around the election, particularly something where you know it goes for Biden and not Trump, that's extraordinarily powerful. So to sit there and say, well, we, we didn't see any intrusion in these voting systems and it's hard, I, I think it's foolish to say, and therefore we don't think it's going to happen. If I'm Russia, easy, easy day. I am going back to you know 2016, where the report acknowledges they probed every state and successfully accessed systems of two at least two states. They're going to do that for sure in 24, in my opinion. And to not mm-hmm. be ready for that and not be ready for that scenario is, you know, shame on shame on the USIC if they're not getting ready for that.
0: I imagine they are, and and also you know it's it's not just about mathematical vote flipping. I mean, we had what? We had Manafort give Kalimnik polling data in key swing states and that helped them target along with psychographic targeting their, you know, voters in those particular areas. We got Jill Stein running. This amount of votes she siphoned off was enough to cover the margin. Uh so, you know, there's other ways besides actual mathematical vote flipping to to influence uh, an election and well, of course you know that but who I, Pete I don't know if you knew um but <laughs> 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 here I am telling Pete well Pete I'm Pete explaining no. but you know you know what I'm saying
2: yeah no absolutely and look it's it's and it's right and it, for those I mean I know probably a, you know a decent number of folks uh, out listening have not followed this and lived it the way you and I have but I think again you know as a prospective let's look at the year ahead This is going to be a big deal in the year ahead, particularly when we start getting close to the actual conduct of the election. And you know, thinking back to twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen, without getting into a lot of detail, you know, the Russian activity. If you look at the twenty twenty four election and overlay the timetable of what we saw them doing in twenty in the run up to the twenty sixteen election, there is a my belief they're actively right now engaged in preparing and doing things targeting the 2024 election right here in you know christmas day 2023 it's already underway and there's already a fight that nobody can see that's going on between the sides and all in preparation for next november
0: i'm hoping that uh the fact that progosian no longer with us might make it a little more difficult uh for them but uh you know, we'll see
2: yeah, I don't think so. I don't think it matters. I mean, he was clearly, uh, you know, useful in that regard. He clearly, you know, the internet research agency in St. Petersburg was something that, uh, you know, he ran and was responsible for, but that, that's a fungible, that that's a transferable thing. That's a need that, you know, find, find somebody else, get the money from another source, a different oligarch, some different Russian government organ. And, you know, do they have that, that, Group of people. I mean, they're contractors. They're they're not. They weren't, you know, Bogner Group players. They were contractors, and they're still out there. So, I don't think it's hard for the Russian government, the Russian intelligence services, to sort of replicate what uh, Prigozhin did. Unfortunately,
0: and this is why it's so important that we fund Ukraine. Hello, Congress. Uh, let's pivot a little bit. We got a few minutes left. I want to talk about uh, what you thought of uh, this year of 2023, I mean, it was a year of indictments, a year of lawsuits, all of which I think are going to come to fruition in the next two years. And I, you know, we've been covering, you and I, basically everything but Jack Smith over on Clean Up on All 45. So, you know, we've been um, way down in the weeds for the New York Attorney General civil fraud suit that comes to an end January 11th. We've been following E. Jean Carroll uh, 1, because E. Jean Carroll 2 already happened, Eugene Carroll one happens January sixteenth. He was just denied immunity. Um, I mean, Rudy Giuliani uh, just fin- wrapped up his trial, and he probably has another one coming now. <laughs> They're suing him again. <laughs> she may put an injunction on him, uh, bar him from speaking, and and violating that order could lead to jail. So if he isn't already in prison for what he did on January sixth, but those charges might not come until after the Trump trial is over. I mean, we have so much going on. The calendar is so full. I don't think anything is going to slow down. I think the justice is going to keep piling on. What, what are your thoughts?
2: I, I agree. I mean, look, we've seen just as, as America now knows, if you weren't intimately acquainted with the criminal justice system, it takes time, right? It's slow. And that coupled with the fact that Trump in particular spent his entire career kicking the can down the road, we've we, we, we're at the point now where we see that you can't, there's no, you can't kick it down any further. You're at the end, and so this is sort of like you know the getting
0: a loser. We're going to Scotus, yeah,
2: you know, and and I think what we're going to see next year. There's only so much. This is like this has all been the warm up act, right? I mean, this is like everybody getting ready and everybody getting in position and tuning the instruments and sort of the orchestra warming up. And what we're going to see next year is finally the main event, right? Whatever whatever analogy you want to use, the concert, the uh, you know the the actual game itself. You're going to see people go into trial and not you know, no, certainly I'm sure there'll be additional pleas like down in Fulton County. I'm certain we'll see some more, but we are going, I think, likely to see at least one trial. And I don't know if that's DC. I don't know if it's down in Fulton County where people are actually in the courtroom in a criminal context where if they lose, they are convicted and they go to jail. And, uh, you know, it's been a long, you know, this is all stemming from, you know, things that occurred in, you know, December, January of, 2020 and 2021. So it takes time, but I think that's coming. You know, sadly, I think there's not a negligible chance that none of this goes to trial before the election. We'll have to wait and see, obviously. But, uh, you know, get ready, get rested, you know, rest up because as soon as sort of, you know, everything everywhere, particularly in the government sort of shuts down between, you know, the, the week of Christmas until the week after New Year's. But after that, everybody comes back to work courts go back in session and there's so much there's so much that's the there's to to wrap your head around all not just trump but if you try and add on like we're doing on uh clean up on 45 when you try and add up all the different actors and their court dates and the individual state investigations in nevada and arizona and wisconsin and michigan there's a staggering amount of legal activity which just (laughs) goes to show the extraordinarily staggering amount of crime that was going on during the Trump administration. I mean, it's mind-boggling. I just... Yeah.
0: I, and I think the fact that all of these, the individual state cases, Fulton County included, you, Michigan, Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, we haven't seen charges there yet, but they're investigating. Um, same with Arizona. All of these happening at the same time goes to show that it does take a long time to prosecute these crimes. Uh, and nobody, nobody got it done, you know, in in a minute. Right. So it's, uh, you just have to, that's just how, that's just how, it, how long it takes. And we keep, we keep getting more hints about this. Some more judge barrel house stuff came out today, more unsealed filings that, um, Mar- Merrick Garland was on Eastman and Clark, you know, way ahead of when people thought. Um, so, you know, we'll just, we'll just continue to follow the accountability, the find out part, um, of fucking around. And, uh, you know, I do think we will see the DC trial uh, in 2024, especially given the speed with which the DC Circuit Court and the SCOTUS have have asked for briefings. But you know, we'll see, and we'll we'll track it all. And then all the all the Fulton County stuff. Fonnie Willis said she might be willing to go before August based on how the rest of his (laughs) criminal trials pan out. (laughs) So we'll see. We'll see. Um, But um, we will be reporting it here on the beans and also on cleanup on L45. Also, please get the book compromised. If you haven't yet, it's incredible. I know you've got audio credits in your audible account, just sitting there. Go, go get this book. Um, any final thoughts before we get out of here for uh, for the year, my friend?
2: No, great to join you and looking forward to uh, to the fight next year. And it is going to be a fight again. So the the one biggest thing that everyone can do, and it's not rely on any criminal justice system to figure things out. The biggest thing everybody can do is get out and vote. So register, get your friends to register, get your neighbors to register. That is the thing the one and only thing that is going to truly keep our democracy alive or throw it into the hands of a, you know, wannabe authoritarian. So have a great rest of your holiday and uh, looking forward to Allison talking and working with you next year and seeing everybody else.
0: Yep. It's been fun. And of course, patrons, we'll see you in DC in April. And everybody stick around after this break. I'm going to be talking to former federal prosecutor and host of Justice Matters, who will also be at the April event for patrons, Glenn Kirshner, so stick around, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm happy to be joined today by my good friend, former federal prosecutor, of longtime federal prosecutor, and host of Justice Matters, Glenn Kirshner. Hey Glenn, how's it going?
1: Uh, it's going well, AG, how are you?
0: Oh man, today was a, a a heck of a day and it's been a heck of a couple of weeks. Uh, in the news um, with all of our anticipated Supreme Court stuff coming up. And since it's breaking right now, uh, I figured we would talk about this, even though this show will be uh, airing on Christmas week. But I want to talk to you about the Colorado Supreme Court decision that just came down. Uh, They are throwing Trump off the ballot. They have determined his oath does count uh, (laughs) to support the Constitution, even though it doesn't have the word support in it, which was a wild argument, in my opinion. He is an officer of the United States and he engaged in insurrection. What are, your, what are your top line thoughts on this one?
1: So it's a wonderful Christmas gift for our democracy that somebody who engaged in an insurrection, incited an insurrection, gave aid and comfort to the insurrection and the insurrectionists and continues to do so. Um, can't be president of the United States again, at least according to the Colorado Supreme Court. You know, a plain reading of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment compels that decision just as sure as if a candidate who was 34 years old tried to get his or her name on a presidential ballot. The Constitution says they're not qualified, just like an insurrectionist after taking an oath is not qualified. So, you know, now, of course, we'll have to see what the Supreme Court does with it, because inevitably, the Supreme Court will accept review of this case, in my opinion. But here is what let me let me do a little bit of a, a law nerd uh, segment here, because here's what people should know. I, I was also an appellate lawyer um, on the government side, I argued lots of criminal appeals, including in espionage and death penalty cases as an Army JAG appellate lawyer, uh, also argued many cases in front of the D.C. Federal Circuit Court of Appeals where the absolute immunity issue is hovering at the moment. There is a mantra in appellate practice. Factual findings of a trial court are entitled to great deference on appeal. They will only be disturbed. They will only be reversed or overturned if they are without record support. In other words, because the Colorado Trial Court found after a trial, after witnesses testified that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection. That is a factual determination that will not be disturbed on appeal, in my opinion, even by the Supreme Court. So the only wiggle room for the Supreme Court would be if they decided that a president wasn't one of the office holders who should be disqualified from holding the most important office of the United States after he tried to overthrow the government. That is insane. But I have to tell you, A.G., as sure as I am that the Supreme Court will not rule that Donald Trump uh, is a king and is above the law and has absolute immunity. I'm not entirely sure that the Supreme Court won't twist itself into pretzels trying to find a way to say um, a president gets to engage in insurrection and still hold office. So I will be waiting to see what the Supreme say on that.
0: Yeah, me too, because this particular Supreme Court is super big on the states running their own elections, right? But consistency hasn't really been their gig. So, you know, it it wouldn't surprise me for them to use the states run their own elections when talking about you're allowed to gerrymander, but not in this particular case. Because they're also, they like to consider themselves textualists, although they've been inconsistent on this bit too. But they may see the fact that support is not in the oath of the president as, you know, like you said, twisting themselves into pretzels on the semantics and not the larger obvious picture of what Section 3 of the 14th Amendment was trying to accomplish, which was to keep... Because in the Supreme Court, th- the plaintiffs argued very well, like, are you trying to say that every you can't be... you Any other office except the most important one is that literally that it doesn't, you know, pass the common sense test. And and that's true. And they won that argument. And I think they won it well. But this Supreme Court sometimes doesn't understand the common sense test.
1: It would make us um, a banana republic if the Supreme Court were to rule that a president of the United States can launch an attack, an insurrection, a rebellion against the United States, and can, again, assume the reins of power and be president to, you know, try to finish the job in killing our democracy. That would really make a mockery, I think, of American democracy. And I hope they don't twist themselves into those pretzels. I think, you know, I I think they're going to think long and hard Before they issue a a ruling like that, because you know it would just it would it would make a mockery of everything we stand for.
0: Yeah, it it really would. Considering the entire idea. Now we're going to talk about the immunity case later, which is so historically obvious that it's glaringly blinding. But the the tendency of the Supreme Court to rule inconsistently on their you know, particularly this Supreme Court is is what makes me feel like this isn't a slam dunk for the Colorado case. But it, again, like you said, just like the immunity uh, case would just as much turn the whole reason we became a country of our own on its head. Historically, it would make zero sense. They would be saying, sure, Jefferson Davis could have been president again or run for Senate uh, because his oath is a little bit different. It, it it just doesn't stand to reason. I hope they see what the Colorado Supreme Court saw in their 5-4 decision. But yeah, like you, I don't feel like this is as much of a slam dunk. Does it have to go to the no. appellate court first?
1: Uh, mm-hmm. No, I think it will go directly from the Colorado Supreme Court. They will file for writ of certiorari, um, seeking review in the Supreme Court and I think it will go directly to the Supreme Court. And I think they're going to do it pretty quickly. I mean, the one thing that I am somewhat heartened by is both the Federal Circuit Courts of Appeal and the Supreme Court in recent weeks have shown that they are no longer interested in letting Donald Trump play his crooked little game of delay, delay, delay. And boy, they're moving at light speed, both the D.C. Federal Circuit Court of Appeals and the Supreme
0: Court. Now, if the Supreme Court, there's a, the Colorado Supreme Court has stayed their decision till January 4th, because January 5th is when Jenna Griswold, Secretary of State, has to uh, make the ballots, right? She has to decide, or not decide, but, you know, put who is going to be on the ballot on the ballot. Is it possible for the Supreme Court to take up this case, but languish and not make a decision in time for her to make those ballots?
1: I think the answer is yes. I, I, I don't think they're going to be interested in letting this thing linger such that they are causing real disruption to the states. Here's the other thing that I find really kind of intriguing, though, A.G. Now that a trial court and a state Supreme Court has ruled, has found Donald Trump engaged in insurrection, what do other secretaries of state do by way of putting his name on their presidential ballots if it were me and I was a Secretary of State which would never happen in some other state I would be placing the name of an insurrectionist at least as found by a trial court and a state Supreme Court
0: on my state ballot
1: I don't think I would be comfortable doing that
0: well, especially if the Supreme Court weighs in um, right then it it's been adjudicated by the courts which is what most secretaries of state, particularly in blue states, have been saying it's it's got to go through the courts. It's got to go through the courts. And I assume once it goes through the courts, then perhaps those secretaries of state would feel comfortable uh, doing uh, doing so. All right. I have to take a quick break, but I want to talk to you uh, about the leapfrogging of the appellate court with Jack Smith and that cool gambit. But everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking to former federal prosecutor, my good friend, host of Justice Matters. You have to watch and listen wherever you get your podcasts and you know on YouTube and things like that. Glenn Kirshner, Okay. So Jack Smith's gambit of, uh, you know, basically Trump has been crying for a while. We're going to take this all the way to the Supreme Court. And Jack Smith goes, okay, how about today? And Donald Trump's like, no, no, wait, (laughs) because he wanted to go through the whole long process, right? Because that's, he doesn't, he knows he's not going to win on immunity. He wants to delay this thing as long as he possibly can.
1: Yeah. And I love the fact that the You know, Jack Smith is going with a legal belt and suspenders approach. He has said one in the appeals court, the D.C. Federal Circuit Court of Appeals, please put this, you know, on the fastest track humanly possible. And they did. They ordered that all briefs must be submitted by January 2nd, and they're going to hold an oral argument one week later on January 9th. Let me tell you, that is not the way things ordinarily work in the appeals courts. And Jack Smith simultaneously said, and by the way, I would like the Supreme Court to take it up right now. And there is a vehicle. It's unusual, but it's been done before. There's a vehicle for the Supreme Court to take the case directly from the trial court, from Judge Chutkin's ruling, leapfrog it over the D.C. Federal Circuit Court of Appeals and decide the issue, because that's where it's going to end up being decided anyway. So I It's anybody's guess as to whether now that it is on such an accelerated track in the appeals court, the Supreme Court might feel like, listen, they're going to resolve this thing in mid-January. We can get their opinion and, and immediately assume jurisdiction for it after that. So maybe they wait because, you know, on the one hand, the Supremes think they're the biggest, baddest kids on the block. And in a sense, they are. They're the last stop for constitutional interpretation. But on the other hand, you know, there are some very smart, experienced um, appellate judges. And I would kind of like if it were me having to take up the decision, I would like to hear what those judges had to say in affirming because that's what they will do in affirming Judge Chutkin's decision that a president is not a king and Donald Trump is not immune from prosecution.
0: Yeah. Now my preference is that SCOTUS goes ahead and, and grants cert and sets a briefing schedule at a quick quick clip and, and schedules a hearing. And then if, because then the appellate court goes, that whole thing goes away, right? It's moot. Right. Because the Supreme Court has decided to grant cert ahead of before an appellate court makes a decision. But I also think that they may tend to wait, like you said, to start that briefing schedule. And that's going to push things back a little bit. I don't think the trial is going to go on March 4th. I don't think jury selection is going to be able to begin on February 9th. There are several other pretrial considerations that have to be decided before uh, trial starts. and, And those are all on pause right now. So I think we may be looking closer at, you know, like April, May, maybe june at the latest time frame but then we're looking at the at the Republican National Convention on July 15th so we're right up we're right up on the line the gag order the very limited gag order i should say that judge chutkin issued is also being appealed uh, by president trump and i know a lot of people are worried that this could throw and muddy up the works throw things into uh, into delay because it may take longer than you know, for the Supreme Court and everybody to exhaust their appeals for the gag order than it does for the immunity hearing. Um, so what does that look like? I, I was under the impression that only interlocutory appeals have to be decided before trial starts. The rest can kind of go on behind the scenes as the trial's going on. But I also know a lot of trial judges want everything to be set and fixed and decided before they start the trial. What What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so it's a it's a good question. It's a, a bit of a complex area because you can, I believe, take an interlocutory appeal of a gag order because it involves prior restraint on your speech and the courts get very excited about that. However, even if you can do it in piecemeal fashion before the trial is over, that doesn't mean the trial will have to wait for the, 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 the that, that issue to run its course through the appellate courts in order for the trial to proceed so i'm not so concerned about ongoing litigation about the gag order i also think the gag order is um laughably um ill-equipped to handle the danger posed by donald trump we are so far beyond gag order territory we are in heartland pre-trial detention territory and i just wish Somebody would prod the rule of law into wakefulness and some judge would say, you know, the law provides that if you are on release in a felony case, and there's clear and convincing evidence that you pose a danger to even one individual in the community, never mind an entire nation and the viability of our democracy, you should be detained pending trial. Nobody has been willing to do what the law provides. And I think that has sort of highlighted the weakness in our in our institution.
0: That's why I don't understand why he's actually appealing the gag order. It kind of helps him out. It allows him to say all kinds of things that a regular criminal defendant wouldn't be able to say. It gives him more breadth uh, and ability to, to speak out and call Jack Smith deranged and uh, go after uh, the you know president biden and 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 he can still even talk about witnesses in certain contexts he just can't say very specific things about the witnesses that could out you know change the outcome of their or you know of their testimony or their ability to participate in a case so th- this limited gag order is actually almost a you get to say these things that no one else gets to say order isn't it
1: Yeah, it really is weak tea, to put it mildly. And um, I don't know if we have a minute to talk about Rudy Giuliani, but, you know, he continues to intimidate, uh, endanger, lie about the fame witnesses, Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman. And if you look at release condition number five down in Georgia for Rudy Giuliani, thou shalt not intimidate witnesses. Well, you know what? Old Harrison Floyd down in Georgia, one of the RICO defendants, intimidated witnesses. And it got him a revocation motion and a revocation hearing. How about you do Rudy next?
0: Well, that was his whole defense, right? Hey, Trump's out here saying stuff about witnesses. Rudy's out here saying stuff about witnesses. Why are you coming after just me? And frankly, that's a good defense. I mean, he he should have been, I you know, I personally think he should have <laughs> had his bail revoked, but I also think there should have been motions to revoke the bail of Rudy Giuliani and, and Donald Trump as well, because that's a very good argument. It's hard to treat someone that is similarly situated in a different manner uh, when it comes to to the law. And now we know Trevion Cootie, uh, also her lawyers just ditched her. But, you know, Rudy now faces a potential jailable offense if an injunction is issued against him by Judge Beryl Howell, in the new lawsuit filed by Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. This actually could put him behind bars if he violates that. And and Judge Howell is at the end of her rope. Yeah.
1: And, um, but I'll tell you what, A.G., uh, Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman should not have to run back to the court for an injunction saying, please, please, Judge, make him stop lying, defaming, and endangering our lives. Um, This again highlights the weakness of our system. If people are uh, on pretrial release and they pose a danger to an individual or the community, they are to be detained pending trial. And if we're not going to take that seriously, well, then we are giving license to people like Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, and others to really just completely undermine the integrity of the due administration of justice.
0: Yeah. And to, to quote you, run roughshod over over our system. Uh, thank you so much, my friend. Everybody needs to tune into Justice Matters. I'm sure you already are. But if you haven't yet, you absolutely must. Uh, we will see you in, uh, in April at our MSW Media Gathering in D.C. for patrons. And um, again, thank you for listening. Thanks for being patrons. Glenn, it's been great to talk to you today.
1: Yeah, it's been a great year and uh, happy holidays. And listen, 2024 is just do or die for democracy. So, you know, we've got that to look forward to.
0: Yes, thank you very much, Glenn. Uh, Do or die for reals. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to The Daily Beans. I will be back in your ears tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Vote blue over Q and bring someone with you. I've been A.G. and them's the Beans.